Welcome to Trek in the Time of Corona. In his 1972 book, The World of Star Trek, David Gerald wrote that science fiction at its best was the postulation of an alternate reality with which to comment on this one. On this podcast, for the next 10 weeks, a fan of Trek and a fan of everything but Trek will come together to search for reflections of this pandemic life by taking in the many contagious disease-themed stories from the Star Trek universe. My name is Brian Apple, and I am here with Caroline Harmondero. Today's episode from TOS, The Naked Now, original air date September 29th, 1966. It is Stardate 1704.2. The Enterprise is orbiting Psi 2000, an Earth-like planet that is long past its prime and soon to disintegrate. Spock and Tormolan beam down to investigate the former science station that has been frozen over. They find the station's crew all dead, all seeming to have expired in various manners of carelessness, recklessness, or violence. In a similarly reckless act, Tormolan removes the gloves of his protective garb and rubs his face several times during his investigation. Returning to the ship, several of the higher-level command run precautionary tests on Spock and Tormolan, find nothing wrong, and send both crew members back to their duties. Soon, though, Tormolan is overcome with anger, questioning the wisdom of human progress and lamenting its possible ramifications. After attempting suicide, Termolan's body seems to give up on Dr. McCoy's operating table, even though he should have survived the minor wounds. Soon, crew members throughout the ship become infected, and elements of their personality that are typically hidden come out, bringing chaos in the very moments they most need their wits about them, as the planet's destruction draws the Enterprise closer and closer to its implosion. To make matters worse, Lieutenant Kevin Riley takes over the engine room and cuts all control of the ship from the bridge. Fighting both an out-of-control crew and eventually the virus themselves, McCoy finds an antidote for the virus as Kirk and Spock rush to help Scotty gain control of the engine room and perform a risky matter-antimatter mixture to pull the Enterprise out of Psi 2000's destructive pull. The maneuver not only saves the ship, but turns back time three full days, leaving the crew stunned and curious as they gather around the captain's chair and ponder the future from the past. And so what 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 did you think? It was my first Star Trek episode. Right. It was fantastic. <laughs> and uh, and all the women were wearing mini skirts. Yes, they were. I was a little disappointed about that. And surprised, because, you know, you always hear about how Star Trek was so ahead of its time. Right. Right. I can understand that. And I won't argue that point. <laughs> um, so, you know, the first thing that jumps out at you is what you just mentioned about his uh, about Tremolin taking his glove off right. and uh, you know 
with all, you know, just today going into the bank and just so terrified that I'm going to touch something and bring germs back to my family. And so it's really, it was so nerve wracking to watch him take his glove off and scratch his face. And, right. uh, and when he's on the frozen planet and, um, and then, you know, what did you think of the significance of the, the pink goo, like, floating upward toward him? Um, I don't think I thought about that too much. I, I definitely had a reaction when he took off his glove, and I was trying to remember back to when I was a kid, and I first saw this episode, if that struck me as foolish as much as it did now, because it's so... Right. No, it couldn't have. How could right, it have? Right. I mean, it might have just seemed like a plot device then, but I don't mm-hmm. even think you could write that into a show now because there's right. no way someone would do that. <laughs> no, there's people doing it every day. I see people every day with their masks down below their nose or, you know, I see cops with their masks down around their neck. And So you think it would still be... It's just hard to get used to. <laughs> but would people, people would find it believable that someone did that in a show? Oh, right. Good point. It just seems so. It, it was the. It was definitely the first thing that struck me because it was so outside of what someone is supposed to do right now. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I thought that the the goo dripping upward was a nice metaphor about how sort of inescapable the disease is, and I think that that reminded me of now too. You know that it's um, it turns corners and finds people and is hard to escape right and uh so i thought that was a cool piece um but uh yeah you know just kind of like what can protect us and what can't and no matter what systems you put in place they don't uh they don't protect us if if we make one tiny mistake no, I definitely, so watching it, I was thinking about at the end when they have to cut through the bulkhead and it's like the very system that they have in place to protect engineering is the very thing that's preventing them from taking the actions they need to save the ship. And it actually, it, it starts at the beginning because um, when they're sitting around during the debriefing, Scotty, who's the engineer, who uh, is the one who's responsible for the ship running the right way and everything is, is really aghast that Spock says something about um, the dangers of the mission. And he says, Scotty says, unless you people on the bridge start taking showers with your clothes on, my engines can pull us out of anything. And it didn't matter at all the precautions that they had in place or the routines that they knew because once the virus started taking hold, no matter what they had in place, no matter what technology they had with them, everything failed because the people were failing. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and his, but his confidence early on, same with the doctor character, they're just really confident that they're doing the right thing early on. And I think that's so telling about our situation now as a country, like my engines oh, yeah. can get us out of anything. Totally. Reminded me of the, you know, like early on, like the China travel ban, like this is going to solve it. Right, right, right. We'll be fine. Cause you know, we've got the power to close this off and close that off. And Right. Total confidence. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, just just not even a hint that something could go wrong. And it was, I mean, another a line before that that struck me that kind of described maybe how we should be thinking about things from now on when it comes to what protects us and what doesn't is when Spock said that instruments register only those things they've they're designed to register. Hmm. Um, like that that when we're thinking, I mean, all of our fear the past three years especially has been focused on illegal uh, immigration or or the people that were constantly terrorists or whoever whoever is supposed to be attacking us and and killing us and our instruments have just been being set to detect those dangers which turned out not to be the actual dangers and, right, and you talked and, about the infinite unknowns that they can't read right exactly exactly so um but I think, you know, the thing that is most striking about the episode is all of the different variations and how the the virus shows all of their true feelings and their I, true natures. I agree. And, um, I think, uh, and then, so that becomes this different kind of infinite unknown, the, the what's underneath for all of us. And I think there's so many examples of that when there's this kind of sort of national crisis like seeing people's true nature um, and how people react to it and how either self-absorbed or um, or generous they become under pressure. Yeah. It's quite frightening, actually, I think, how close the show was in terms of predicting kind of the archetypes of response to the crisis even down to the one one guy who's painting graffiti like love mankind and the, i can't remember the other one that he wrote right now but how there are just these agents of chaos during the crisis whose actions don't make any sense right and then there are those who have bravado and then there are those who become self self-degrading and and mm-hmm. just all the different things that we're seeing play out right now and with a virus that's not supposed to Act, make us act like we're drunk. What did you think about uh, the leadership qualities of the of Captain Kirk compared to our current leadership? <laughs> I mean, I think the first thing that you notice is con- like constant communication, um, and between the kind of in this episode, I don't know how it is in other episodes, but in this episode, it seems like there's kind of three leaders, which are Captain Kirk and Spock and the doctor. Right. Um, I, I don't know if maybe the doctor fades into the background in other episodes, but in this one, he's really critical. So the three of them talking continually um, and giving these constant updates about how close we are when things are going to implode is very reminiscent of, you know, getting updates on sort of when our virus is going to peak and when, when different changes are going to go into effect and how many people have been affected and um, how much more grim it can get but also just like telling the truth you know I think having having a focus on telling the truth about what response is good enough and what's not response what response isn't good enough and he kind of says that sentence that's not good enough and uh, you know the reason you're here is to figure out some new solutions so kind of reminding the team of their purpose but also the first questions he asks the doctor 
are about his crew and their safety. So kind of putting his crew first is a good... Right. And might be a good indicator of the way that he leads. I don't know. No, I I think that... And they, they are the three main characters um, kind of representing the, the warrior, the philosopher, and the healer um, in, in each episode, in each adventure. It was also, I just can't imagine, or well, you, I can't imagine, it seems like right now there are some leaders who are sitting in briefings, turning towards their experts and saying, give me answers based on your abilities and knowledge. And then there are other leaders who aren't asking for answers based on other people's knowledge and experience and, and, and wisdom. And they're just making decisions based on other factors entirely, not taking into consideration the the people that their safety is is the people who they're supposed to be protecting and keeping safe right the people at the top or the you know the people who are invested in the stock market versus you know all all players in the american economy including workers and investors yeah or um whether you listen to the best advice of scientists um, and sort of comparing the different governors' responses right. to COVID-19, I think you see the difference in sort of who's listening to um, big business and who's listening to science. It, it was also interesting to see how much time they depicted Kirk and the other leaders had to spend on things that had nothing to do with the virus, like a dangerous life-threatening thing is going through the ship but they couldn't even focus on that because they were focusing on all the ramifications of people's behaviors that was preventing them from actually getting a cure and it seems like right now there are some of the population that's creating behaviors that are having to be dealt with but there's also behaviors by some leaders that were having to follow behind and clean up after without even being able to focus on the thing that's going to most protect us which is the science and the medicine and the research that we need well yeah it's hard not to draw a link between someone unqualified to lead locking themselves in the control room and singing at the top of their lungs for entertainment running the thing into the ground i think also the um the leadership in terms of you know i've checked the, the the doctor is saying I've checked this, I've checked this, I've checked this. Right. I've decontaminated. I've done everything right. And Kirk is saying, "Well, I want you to check the impossible too." Right. So, like, sort of coaching people not just to look at what's in front of them incisively, but also to think about what they're not seeing, and try to um, see around corners, like what's coming, what's going to hit us next week, um, especially you know in times of great crisis like this, where it seems like things are changing so quickly. Right. Right. You had put something in your notes about survivor guilt. Were you talking about Tormolin, the the first person to get it? Yeah, he says, you know, these six people have died. Why should I live? And then he tries to commit suicide. I think um, survivor guilt is all around us right now in the U.S. At least there's uh, this sort of arbitrariness of who who's getting sick, who's dying, who's um, losing their family members. Right. I see. And I, I didn't think of it when I saw that until your notes, because I took it from another perspective that he was really questioning 
everything that he had learned about what progress was and then he was asking what are we even doing out here in space what sure. are we what what why do, do we even belong out here and it's hard not to think about how much um how much of our our progress has also brought us to a point where we are in danger because of it. So one, like air travel and the accessibility of travel and things like that. But then also this idea, at least in our country, our progress and the feeling of individual freedom is causing people to rebel against what is the safest for the group as a whole. And you have to ask if if the experiment of our country is working if it can't protect the whole in favor of the individual um, passion of the moment. Right, and we've sent these people out to the far reaches of this dying frozen planet and exposed them to, at this point, God knows what, and because he doesn't know at this point what it is and um, and how they died and uh, just kind of like the overreach of science, but also this kind of colonial attitude of um, manifest destiny that we're entitled to um, continually con- colonize more and more places and at the expense of our staff and crew and workers, but also the planet itself, because now, um, you know, part of what they're researching is the death of a planet. So right. I think that was one of the real um, echoes in my mind of where we are now is that um, how this pandemic is showing the damage that we're doing to our climate and our planet and um, and sort of the intertwining of human illness and climate catastrophe um, is really stark in this episode so it kind of reminds you of all the articles about um, the flip side which is that by not moving around and burning fossil fuels were sort of clearing a lot of our damage to our planet and right and all the ways that after this pandemic we're going to be able to prove not only the degree to which humans are responsible for all this degradation to our planet but also the um, speed with which it might heal itself if we pull back our addiction to burning fossil fuels but do you i mean do you think that's really going to happen Yes. You do? Of course. Yes, think I think we're we... going to change course. And I think this is I think this is going to help us change course. Really? Tra- tragically, I mean, no one would want this many people to have to die for that, but That's really I think interesting. it's I think it's going to have a huge impact on where policy goes related to the environment from here. Cuz I think it's going to it's going to be a new level of irrefutable. But ir- but but the ir- irrefutable has always been refuted i mean it feels like I, I don't i don't know how people are refuting what's out there right now but um that well, is well sometimes things at a tipping point right i feel like this might be the tipping point let's talk about the ending so my my take on the ending was rather straightforward in that uh when i was watching it I felt like there was a total unsettled nature to the ending that that there 
there was no sense of things being resolved. I mean, they survived and they were okay. They figured out the problem. They escaped the the disaster of the ship crashing, in, crashing into this um, disintegrating planet, but they're all just standing around the captain's chair looking up at the, uh, at the camera and it just doesn't feel settled. And I can imagine that is what it's going to feel like whenever things get back to whatever normal is going to look like. It's not going to feel like anything happened. But you had made a comment. Right, yeah. Other, you made a comment. A point, yeah. You had made a different comment about it. <laughs> um, about yeah, specifically think, time. Yeah, I think, you know, there's this grace of how they get this, ex they get that three days back. And, and one of the things that, with this being my first Star Trek episode, one of the things I actually don't know is whether Termolin comes back from the dead, you know? Like, I don't know. Is oh my he, gosh. Is I've he never... a character? Does he? <laughs> I've actually never thought about that. How could you not think about that? Is he know. a character in the in the series? Does he come no, up ever no. again? No, never. I mean, oh. I'm sure. I mean, I, there are so many Star Trek books that are not canon that I'm sure somebody somewhere has written an entire backstory about him and <laughs> explained that. But in the show, that is never addressed. Oh, he doesn't come back to life. No, well, I, I mean, when it's they, never addressed. When they live the three days. That is an excellent point. I never Thank thought about you. that before. Could <laughs> you not think about that? Like, that's what I'm. I'm like dying to know at the end of the episode. Does he is is he resurrected in three days? That's fascinating. In that is really fascinating. In the, in the biblical three days. Um, okay, <laughs> so. Uh, that's one of my questions but also you know it it feels like right now in COVID-19 United States that um there's a sense of time moving backward and um that when you kind of come close to death or great danger that time kind of folds back on itself so I think it was a great sort of metaphor about that that um you know those of us who are still have the privilege of working right now um everything's moving more slowly projects are moving slowly you know children in this different kind of educational environment are learning more slowly their behavior is moving backward people you know like um they're regressing but i think adults are regressing too you know why why does it feel is it is that actually happening or does it feel like that like what is how much of that is our perspective and how much of that is real? I mean, certainly time is always perspective, but in terms of everything that feels like it's regressing. Well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of studies on children, how much time children lost in their education during COVID-19 right. and how, how um, what a dent it was on, on children's sort of educational progress. But during, uh, just on that point, uh, yeah. during a meeting for the school that I work at, um, somebody made the comment about how this generation of kids is going to be labeled somehow as the COVID generation or something along those lines, just always being seen as less than in terms of their academic progress because of the time they've missed from school. Uh, you know, I don't know. There, you know, how, what kind of effect did the Great Depression have on education or World War II or, you know, kids are real resilient, but no, right, right. But just in terms of like this metaphor of warped time, like 
time, you know, time kind of standing still when every day seems the same and, uh, and how time kind of folded back for them. But I think, you know, there's also this way where sort of politically we're regressing in these sort of protests where people are, um, there's kind of this childishness of sort of begging for your hairdressers to be open or the types of things people are fussing about is really sort of regressive. So I thought that was an interesting metaphor, the kind of moving backward and time folding back on itself in crisis. And, you know, I felt that that way when loved ones die, you know, like with grief, that time just sort of doubles back on itself. Yeah. Which also just thinking about the childish, I mean, that's like Riley, who is the person who, blew mm-hmm. off work and just goes into the engine room and starts speaking purely from the standpoint of what his personal needs are. Yeah, and like his moment. id. He's like yeah. pure id. Yeah, exactly, exactly. See, that's Women the Women should I... wear their hair loosely around their shoulders. <laughs> oh, God. It, it, I mean, it, it, is, it is still dated. I will grant you that. It, it, it was... <laughs> but... No, that, that was timeless. It's really... <laughs> Like, he just goes straight into what he wants. And I thought it was really fascinating how, you know, the different personas that they picked to go into for each of these characters, who I don't have much experience with other than their sort of stereotypical. Well, I mean, actually, one of the one of the things about this episode, it was like five or four or five in the first season. And some people who have written about it who were close to the show talked about how it was a great episode where the main characters especially really began to get a sense of themselves because they had to explore what was behind the facade of their mm-hmm. character, like really get to their underneath feelings um, and, and wants and desires and things like that which usually takes a lot longer to develop as you develop a character over a a season or two seasons, whereas this forced them to really examine that early on. Yeah, I was thinking it was a nice device that way, because isn't it only like the fourth episode of the entire series or something? Yeah, yeah, fourth or fifth. I can't remember exactly which. So you get sort of like a backstory of Spock being like mixed species or... Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And like his, his parents... His relationship to his parents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was and, very uh, early on. Yeah. So we're living in this really historic moment, surviving a worldwide pandemic and coping with a constantly changing day-to-day reality of COVID-19 and turning to fiction, and in this case, science fiction can really help us name and interpret what we're seeing and hearing around us. For example, in this episode, the systems that are set up to protect us are only as strong as their one weakest link, the weakest moment. And the crisis can really draw out our true natures with people focusing more intently on themselves or on helping others, depending on who they are. And we see the degradation of the planet and human illness being intertwined, how much of nature we've colonized or how much we should. and the insight our pandemic gives us into our Earth's environmental crisis, and then maybe its solutions. And what's a good leader in crisis? A truth teller, putting crew first, 
someone who's a constant communicator or constantly seeking good advice and counsel, who asks fellow leaders to do better, to think of what's possible, and also prepare for the impossible, the infinite unknowns, since there's no time for surprises in crisis. And we also saw it echo some of our survivor's guilt about the spiritual arbitrariness and political design of who's infected, who dies, who loses family or a job, who gets time with family and time to rest. In crisis, we saw time moving slowly. Um, now how work and education are slowing down, how people regress in their behavior and emotions. 